Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who used to work at a gas station when he was, what, three years old? Four years old? <laughs> this kid's probably closer to, like, seven or I, eight, probably. Despite having two of them, I'm terrible at guessing children's <laughs> ages. Uh, I am the Adam Glass, and in my day, uh, <laughs> you were a gas children as young as... Children as young as one and a half. As long as you could stand, you could pump gas. So and that was only really considered a soft requirement. Um, <laughs> if you if you could pump the gas, basically, if you could not drink it, you basically were in. That is yes, mostly because if you could drink it, you were definitely out. Yeah, I mean, you would so, get fired. I mean, that's the sort of thing that gets. No, you, you would just be dead. Well, I don't know, or a superhero, or a supervillain. The Gas Man. <laughs> Who achieved his powers by drinking, drinking gasoline. gasoline. Hey, I, I, I challenge you, this Adam, is not to the prove most to me that that is, that, is, that is more absurd than half of the other ones from the Golden Age. I, I'm just telling you. Like, he drank. Actually, but let's be honest. I feel like they would definitely lean in. It would definitely be someone who... Who at least fancied themselves somewhat British or something? It would probably be the petrol man. Yes. Let's be clear here. The pe- petrol man. I feel like that uh, seems like it's more accurate. I look forward to the hard, gritty, naturalistic reboot of the petrol uh, origin man. story of the petrol man. It'll be one of those. Te- uh, they won't. Sure they won't consider him enough to carry on. his own, so they'll team him up with somebody like Killer Croc or somebody. <laughs> Killer, Killer Croc, Croc and Petrol Man are. The only thing that almost got me to see Suicide Squad was the fact that Killer Croc's in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not worth it even a little bit. I saw it on an airplane. It's, I mean, it is a film. I mean, they recorded it. Their things were recorded, and I can't That's really offer much else. It's actually what I really wanted from the Gotham TV series was was uh, a killer, you know, they were introducing a all, the, all the young versions of all the other villains. I, I only watched like two episodes of Gotham, but that is that is the only reason I watched those two. I was like, I don't give a shit about Batman even a little bit here. But man, if I can find out a little bit more about Killer Croc, I will be a happy man. I want to know what he was like when he was like eight years old. Right, right. That's what you need. And they always feel like they need uh, to hit that. They need to really give it to you hard. They need to hard sell it. So he's like, of course, in that show, he would be like, like he's like, uh, he lives in a he lives in a like a one like a down under theme safari park. Pat, before we get to this week's movie, I want to uh, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, over there, we do a monthly... Killer Croc free. <laughs> it is. It is. Unfortunately, at this point, it is Killer Croc, Croc oh. free over there. Uh, every month, we do a bonus episode over there that is a non-Criterion film. Uh, we watch a pretty eclectic mix of movies over there. Uh, recently, we watched Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Which is amazing. Uh, it's amazing Which is movie. amazing. 
Uh, one of our earlier ones is uh, Aliens, uh, on which our, our friend Donovan Hill guests and is rants for forty five minutes ever. about the movie. I, I still <laughs> to this day cannot stop it. thinking about the reveal when we found I out. Love that kid. It was that he had it. It was amazing. Yeah. I I almost I literally almost <sighs> fell out of my chair. I lost. <laughs> anyway, I just lost fun. it. Uh, we also uh, we've we've done some pretty bad movies over there. Uh, Ernest goes to camp is is arguably good. Uh, uh, I but, mean, you uh, know, but it, Critters Two, okay. Critters Two is not a good movie. No, but um, it's it's enjoyable. It is it is legitimately yeah. like it's one of those ones that like right. I don't always go in for like the so bad it's good theory. Right. Like I do sometimes. Right. I, I listen to some podcasts that are like that. And they, there are movies that are actually so bad they're good. And and that, there are that's one that of them. That's bad. That, that is legitimately one of them. That it is it is right. intensely enjoyable to watch and not at the laughing at whoever made it sort of way. Yeah. But in just it's like wow. Somehow, all these the stars aligned, and you made something really, really fun to watch. Um, I saw an ad today for a new Critters movie. I as I assumed, I have I have assumed that that fits into one of those categories where they've been making them all the whole time, and we just don't know it. Yeah, that they're on Critter Critters like nine or something. <laughs> Just keep making. Well, it's like Land Before Time. Did you realize there's 15 of them? You probably didn't. At some That's point, fair. your brain started filtering that information out, and then someday you'll have a kid and you'll realize, holy shit, they're on number 24. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not the Land Before Time. It's just it's, critters. It's the la- they're different. No, I know, but uh, to be fair, like, you know, you probably wouldn't show critters to your kids, so who knows? Who knows when you'd figure that out? At some point, they'll stop using the linear numbering system because that always feels sad when you cross, like, the threshold of, like, five or something. So they'll just start naming them weird stuff like they do, like, Jason and stuff like that, and it'll be very confusing. I'm sorry. I need to correct myself. Uh, Critters, a new binge, is not a Critters 5. Oh, really? uh, but, But is, in fact... A uh, uh, Shutter is producing a uh, short episode web <laughs> series based on critters. That's that's, uh, that's so it's so it's a television 2019's version of the same thing, Adam. Right, you've just certainly, described. Certainly. I mean, is there or is there not a Dark Crystal TV show now? I mean, that's fair. That's fair. That is 2019's version of we want to release another one of these movies, and we've decided not <laughs> right, to actually put it into theaters. Film. Because theaters are dead. Right. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Uh, anyway, patreon.com slash lesson criterion if you want to get in on that. Uh, like I said, we do a lot of interesting things over there. It's only a dollar a month. Uh, keep us going and uh, uh, get yourself a little bonus content. Put, put food uh, on our table. <laughs> Copious If I were of relying food. on our Patreon, <laughs> we'd all be for dead. Food. Uh, we'd all I, yeah, be dead. No. It's like the idea of like maybe it could be like one of those things where we could like convince people that it's, we're doing much better than we are, and then maybe they'll give us more money because of it. I don't think that works. But I, I suppose don't know. the rich the rich seem to get more money. So exactly maybe right. Like work. if you've looked at the Patreon pages of really popular podcasts, people keep subscribing to the ones that clearly don't need any more money. They're like they're doing right, fine. Right. That's fair. They're getting $100,000 a month. It's They're okay. I think they're doing okay. Right. We're not getting quite that much. 
We're getting much, much more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Help me build a swimming pool full of gold coins in my backyard. (laughs) With just one more Patreon supporter, we could do it. If that Patreon supporter had billions of dollars, (laughs) we could make this happen. Uh, that's the $1 a month for a little extra $5 a month. We'd like to thank those people on air. And thank you to Adam Speakerman for your continued $5 support. Yes, thank you. Uh, a little above that, at $10 and above, we do something that is really great. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get it printed up on postcards and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters with a little personal note. So thank you to Michael McGrath and Jason Westhaver for your continued $10 yes, and you. above supports. Uh, and thanks, Pat, for making that art. The last oh one, Pat, God, made October is recording, so, or is that October? Uh, September is September's is, Yeah, it's, it's uh, based on which one's it based on? Not the Haunted Stranger, Corridors the, of Blood, Corridors uh, of Blood. Yeah, one of the monsters in Mad Men box set from uh, oh, so from good. September, and it is phenomenal. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Get in on that for uh, support at any level. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, well, we greatly appreciate you guys just listening as well. You know, yeah, we, it's we nice do to have an audience. That. This week, we are talking about one of the classics of Italian cinema, one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, yeah, objectively, yeah, absolutely. If we can believe in objective 100%. qualifications for what a greatest movie is, um, which we don't. I say let's that. be clear here, which we, we do don't, not. but also, which but we don't, is... but also we <laughs> there's there are. Whatever nebulous criteria might uh, might account for greatest movie, uh, we've seen a lot of movies that we have just independently decided were the greatest movies ever made. That True. it turns out are also on actually established people's lists of greatest movies. Well, and it's gone both uh, ways, right? We have watched movies right. that people have told us are the greatest movies ever made, and we're just like, "Oh my god, that was terrible." Right. Uh, that has right. also happened. Um, but this one, I. I think you can kind of come up with that answer if you like, if you, if literally no one watches it and walks away going, meh. Like, if like literally every human being who's ever seen the movie is like, yeah, that was great. Then you probably, yeah. you probably found something. Right. There's some, right. You know, some uh, anyway, Bicycle Thieves, or also known in English as The Bicycle Thief, was the uh, former U.S. translation of the. Uh, of the Italian title. Um, I don't know enough about Italian pluralization to know whether or not uh, the title is ambiguous or it could be Bicycle Thieves or Bicycle Thief or one I or the other. I uh, don't... Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Uh, Lodgery de Bicicleta, it implies one bicycle, but I don't know Lodgery... Uh, it would be thieves of bicycle, but I don't know if Lodgery's plural or not. I don't know Italian, so whatever. Anyway, uh, it is the story of the importance of a bicycle to a lower class worker's life, uh, and as such, is one of the most uh, most overtly political, apolitical films we've ever seen. I right. guess not that not that anyone making this thought that it was apolitical, but it's the sort of the sort of story you could tell uh and claim that you're being apolitical and say, "Oh, well, well, I don't right. want to introduce politics into it." Uh even though it is deeply political film on well, all but levels. It, it is just the story of a guy 
who well, loses it's, his it's bike. one of those magical it's one of those magical stories where it it, it hones in, it it locks on to the fact that like there is no no there is no non-political story right like there is no right. exactly there is no person's life who is not affected by the politics of the world around them you don't have to come out and overtly say what the politics are most of the time because they're there right. like they're just part of life right like in uh, right. Especially when you lock into sort of uh, the further ends of the spectrum of like wealth and uh, and like opportunity, right? Like it becomes even more patently obvious, right? Like you get you do the right. same thing if you write make a movie about the absurdly wealthy, right? Like you, the politics are writ large because the the, the nature of that person's life magnifies it for the audience, right? Um, Absolutely, and, and yeah. you know, so saying. Saying a piece of art you've produced is apolitical is like saying it's, that yeah, it is yeah. not philosophical. That in itself is a political philosophical statement. So, uh, yeah. This is directed by uh, Vittorio De Sica. We've seen a couple of De Sica films uh, before. Uh, Umberto D, I believe, was the earliest one of his we've seen, which forms it's the third of a loose trilogy. Um, Umberto D, The Bicycle Thieves, and Shoeshine, which uh, he put out a couple years before uh, Bicycle Thieves. Uh, they are three of the earliest films of what would codify uh, Italian neorealism. Uh, this came out in 1948. Uh, it is written by screenwriter uh, Cesar Zabatini, who is basically the architect of Italian neorealism more than any singular director. It is Zavatini's uh, screenwriting uh, and his own politics. Uh, he worked with De Sica. He wrote Umberto D as well. Uh, he worked with uh, Michelangelo Antonioni. Uh, Antonioni. I can never say yeah, his last a, name yeah. right. Yeah. Um, he worked with Fellini, with Guillerme, with, uh, yeah, Rossellini. He worked with Luciano Visconti. He, he worked with everyone. Um, everyone you think of when you think of Italian neorealism, uh, Zavattini is, uh, is part of it. In fact, one of the bonus features on the Bicycle Thieves Criterion DVD is a uh, short documentary on Zavattini. Not on De Sica. It right. is dedicated to, to his life and career. Um, interestingly enough, later in his life, he you know, the one of the baseline ideas of Italian neorealism is letting go of artifice. You know, that's why we have working class stories portrayed by working class people, you know, not professional actors. Uh, he started producing what he called newsreels uh, that were semi-documentarian, as far as I know, uh, but not necessarily documentaries uh, that were uh, very much, much more overtly political uh, and, and pro-workers' pro rights, pro-leftist politics uh, later in life. Um, but this is this is still very early, when uh, just the nature of producing this is 
political too, right? Right. Period. Just the fact that you are telling stories about poor Italians and portraying poor Italian life with no gloss is... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, these... you know, it's actually pretty much impossible. Like, we we we've talked about this a little bit before, but like, just choosing people who are not at least middle class as your subject is by its nature a political is a political act, right? Right. Because like, right. you there's also. you can gloss up people in like the lower income brackets, but the reality of the matter yeah. is like. By doing that, you almost exclusively end up making them middle class, like in your, you know what I mean? Like, right. in order to tell right. a story that's palatable that way, what you end up with is, oh, well, I gave them a bunch of stuff that they, that people wouldn't have access to because I needed to gloss the whole thing up right. a little bit. Like, right, you know. right. Uh, another interesting aspect of this background, uh, Bicycle Thieves is based on a novel, Uh one of the uh, supplements on the DVD uh, says that it's uh, it can't even rightly be called a loose adaptation. Uh, basically, Zavatini read the book, uh, really liked the title, paid for the title. Oh but God. the the book is about a guy who uh, whose bicycle is stolen twice. Actually, he gets it back and it's stolen again, uh, and uh, and Zavatini became so obsessed with the idea of the importance of the bicycle utilitarian the tool of the bicycle to pulling this guy out of poverty uh that that's the story he decided to tell uh instead of actually adapting the book but they still they still paid for the title well and it's a it's a good title i mean it works real well right right um also, a, uh, a a terrible story related to this movie. Uh, Lamberto uh, Maggiorani, who plays the ti- uh, the the main character, um, one of the title characters, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, uh, he agreed to star in the movie for a flat rate of six hundred thousand lire, um, which is a good chunk of money at the time, right? Uh, but he yeah, but you, if you and his family so. were were incredibly poor. Uh, he spent his paycheck buying new furniture for his house and treating his family to a vacation, which they had not had in many years. Uh, he went back to his job at a factory. And the factory decided that business was slacking and management uh, needed to fire someone and everyone believed he had gotten rich from being in this movie and making residuals from this movie so he got fired oh no uh because they assumed he had money uh and he did not he did not (laughs) so so the backstory of the main actor in this is almost a mirror of the plot of the book. Well, and we've 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 kind of seen plot that of the movie. in uh, in other neorealism. Other neorealists. Yeah, it, it tends to right. happen that way, right? Yeah. Uh, every so often, some of them are like, "I'm going to get into acting. That was fun," and then like <laughs> nothing happens. It's always right. very sad. 
With the exception of that one guy who was uh, uh, in two of the Bresson films and says, says, oh, yeah, this is fine, but bricklaying's actual work. Yeah, I enjoy that. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of that guy. Let's be clear. Here. I love that. Guy. I love that. Yeah. He's like, no, this is just not for me. I'm not. No, <laughs> yeah. uh, not my cup of tea. I mean, I can't the- blame him. Honestly, I feel like there's probably we we don't we haven't talked about, it, but there's got to be more people who are just like, oh, that acting shit's kind of oh. <laughs> right, right. Not, not my people, cup of tea. People who were who were in one neorealist film. And thought, eh, that was fine. Yeah, I'm not going to do um, that again. I'm not going to go looking for it, that's for sure. Right. Right. I can imagine. Of course, there are plenty of there are plenty of people who were cast in a new realist film, having never acted before, who did go on to... Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we also have read about things. quite a few who went on to try to right. continue to star in films and then right. failed miserably. But unfortunately, they were hired by Bresson for their first job, and right. Bresson was not interested He's in He's actually some sort of weird poison act. pill of being an actor. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to teach you everything not to do when you're acting. <laughs> Right. I'm going to make it my life's work to ruin you as an actor. Uh, so one thing about this movie's political stance is that uh, the lower class, everyone's real. And everyone's got their motivations, right? Even the actual bicycle thieves who steal the bicycle are beloved by their community and poor and destitute and products of their uh, lot in life as well, right? right. Absolutely. Uh, the bad guys in this movie, and as much as they're bad guys, are the indifferent officials. Right. The police who are incompetent and, and, well, and send him away. Well, and, and then that's that, and that's even that. I even think that the movie itself has a decent amount of sympathy, even for them, in the sense right. that, like, like, what do you fucking want me to do? Like,. <laughs> Oh my god! Go like the one. The one detective's like, "Am I supposed to go talk to literally? Like, what am I like? Even the, even they're not really portrayed as bad guys. Not honestly. Um, I don't know. That is actually their literal job description. Go talk to people. Well, and I know, figure but like, crime, you know, and but... I and I I agree. Yes, that is true. But like again, there are there are limits within the universe, right? Like, it would be better. I mean, like. Really, honestly, if we really want to talk about who the bad guys are, this movie makes it pretty clear that the bad guys are people we will never see in this movie. Right. The bad guys are the people who have built this, this, who have made yes. this. Uh, like, the way everybody's getting their work, uh, you know, we actually get it kind of laid out there right at the very beginning. It's like, well, why can't I hang posters? It's like, well, you're in the, you're in the whatever, like, you're, you're, you're a bricklayer, that's not your... Wrong, right. wrong category, and it's like, well, can I just change categories? No, that's not. No, you can't. Like, there's a whole that syst- is against the rules. Yeah, there's a whole structure arranged around here that is essentially as a a weird offshoot created some sort of bicycle theft economy, right? Right. And that's just one of the weird right. side effects of this insane society that has been constructed around these people by people they'll never meet or see. And the and the police are, are functionaries within it. Yeah, they're the boot of that. But we don't even really see overt... I mean, it is surprising in a movie about this sort of society that we don't even see any overt violence by the police. We just see a bunch right. of people who, like, don't care enough. But, you know, yeah. 
it, it even that I I don't don't really view them as the the bad guys. Yes, yeah. and that that isn't that is an interesting uh, interesting idea in this film. The police aren't necessarily protecting the status quo overtly. They're not beating anyone into submission. Uh, they're just bad at their jobs and don't want to be better. Right, they're so. bad at their jobs, and presumably the structure of the society has encourages that from them. Right. My guess would yeah. be that like they are not in earnest. There's no effort to make them good at their job, right? The society is right. not actively trying to make them good at their job. Um, yeah, because they could probably find the bicycle. I mean, they could go... But think about that. I mean, also take that to its own weird place, right? Because the the answer to, hey, can you police go find my bicycle is a major invasion of a lot of other people's rights, right? right. Like, is, a, is, is an authoritarian, re- like, fascist regime that just breaks down doors hunting for fucking bicycles. Right. Is also a nightmare, right? Like, that's so, also So in that regard, the fact that Italy has just... Decided that this is just, just a escaped a fascist nightmare. Yeah. Um, maybe it's good that the police aren't super investigated in this. Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, one of the things that was really shocking is that they're like, uh, more than once, it's like, you're going to go to jail. And it's like, for bicycle theft? Like, yeah. I get it, right? Like, if that's your whole life, if that's the only thing keeping you in work. That I understand why there would be an impulse to be like, well, you steal a bicycle, which is this person's only method of staying in work, you're going to fucking jail. But at the same time, like that's again, that's an ins- that's an insane reaction, right? Like that's just perpetuating the problem, right? Like it's it's all. And of course, this movie is this movie is also about the arbitrariness of that authority too, though, right? Because it's. You know, uh, someone steals our main character's bicycle and no one cares. Right. He steals a bicycle from someone who is not much better off than him, but is perhaps better off than him. There's nothing there's nothing to say whether or not the person he steals a bicycle from is better off than him. Well, there's a couple but, things, there's a couple interesting things we do learn in that scene which I thought were really fascinating. Sorry to to interrupt, but Oh, by all means, go ahead. The person who has the bicycle stolen at one point says, that's my life. Like, he makes a statement yeah. very similar right. to our main character about right. how important that bicycle is in keeping him in work. No, um, you are right. That's and I true. think what that tells you is, is that, that that reinforces what our main character was saying, which is, like, he, the main character had a plan. Had he been able to stay, keep that bicycle for a certain period of time, he would have the life of that person he stole that bicycle from. Right. Which is like an actual apartment. Like presumably that person was in there. They were in a place that was clearly better than where our main character is living. Right. Not by leaps and bounds, but it, it seems much more stable and more, uh, more, you know, it's closer to the city center, that sort of stuff. Right. So. Right. Right. So, you know, and by by nature of being a little further down that path. Uh, he has more of a social uh, safety net. Absolutely. Yeah. In that, when his bicycle's stolen, a lot of people <laughs> suddenly care. Well, and that and that's the sad thing about our main character is that he's in the gray zone in many ways between the two, the two things, right? Because 
The person who stole his bicycle is surrounded by people who are in the same situation as him and who are willing to rally to their to their to their to their brethren, right? Like a person from right. their neighborhood who is being accused of this crime. They all know he did it. Like no one's right. like you know. But since that person is somehow slightly below our main character in social standing, you know, they they feel like he's right. punching down on them. Um, right. And so they rally around him. And then our, 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 the person our main character steals his bicycle from is somebody who's a little bit higher up who has, yeah, a, lot of, a, a decent network of safety around yeah. him that will rally to getting his bike back. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and, of course, there are a few people who help him in his search for his bicycle, uh, including people with, with more power than him, uh, the, the organizer who helps him look all day. And none right. of, and while, <clears throat> while the organizer and the other workers do eventually fade into the background, uh, none of them are trying to get out of that duty, right? No, they are all actively helping him, and they are part of presumably right. part of his community. Um, right. Yeah, it it it, it, yeah, it is it is all very yeah. I mean, it's a lot to this movie is a lot to think about. Right, uh, right. Another thing, another thing about this movie is that it accurately portrays all the little subgroups, uh, even within class structure, that are pitted against one another by the very nature of capitalism yeah right. exactly right like it is it is built on the idea that we can divide these these people can be right. divided and no they're right. not gonna team up and fucking take over this shit uh right. which is right. what needs to happen obviously the, in the society we're seeing here right like this is not right. this is not good this is all bad if the if the initial thief and his friends our main character and his friends uh and the guy he tries to steal a bike from and his friends uh, all got together and decided that everyone should own a bicycle. Right, uh, everybody would they, own a bicycle. Like it would everyone be everyone would own a bicycle. It's pretty short order, and you know we see right. that pawn shop where they're where people are buying and selling their bicycles back for credit. Right, and it's like it's all just just knee deep of garbage. It's just like, right. well, that shouldn't exist. Like, why are all those bicycles in there not being used by people who need fucking bicycles? And like, the uh, and the amount of bed idea. sheets, the oh, amount I know, of bed the sheets, bed sheets that have been insane. It is, I mean, that is one of the more fascinating scenes in this film, right? Like, it is one of the most telling scenes, right? Like, how many people have sold their bed sheets? Well, right. apparently everyone. Everyone. Apparently, the no whole one, fucking no city. In, no one in town has any sheets anymore, right? Because they're all at this single pawn shop. Well, right, and and but and. The, Exactly. There's nothing yeah. about that that isn't madness. That that is just patently, obviously madness. And yeah, it, it's this movie. I mean, obviously, our director and our writer, they all knew what they were like. There's no accidental politics in this movie. I mean, it has the certain right. level of plausible deniability in a weird sense, in the, in the way that, like, well, it's just a story of a guy. I mean, he's not. Yeah. But like everybody knew when, what, their, what the politics were when they wrote when they wrote it. One, there are a couple of places we get sort of more overt villains, uh, but they are again villainous in their indifference. Like the the guy just blowing bubbles while the uh, while the bike's stolen, uh, 
while he's looking for it. The the pedophile who's trying to yeah. buy Bruno yeah. something nice. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. But again, those are those are even more. Yeah, you're right. They're bad guys of indifference or sort of like the background the, evil of just yeah life. Right. The they're other like, family. The other family at the restaurant. And the and the kid who keeps turning around and making faces at Bruno, while while eating much better than Bruno is eating. Right, these are these are phases of indifference. Right, I mean, um, and those are those are, I mean, especially in the restaurant, those characters are there. Right, I mean, they're they're they are are, are to a certain extent our touchstone on like right, like what what and, is the other class that that is it, it that doesn't right. care. Right. That, and the fact that the the religious structures that are offering help are doing so not just on the contingency that you have to listen to a sermon, but that they lock you in yeah. to listen to the sermon before you get your meal. Yeah, which is yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's well, and you know, it, it'd be it'd be it'd be lovely to say it's not how it works now, but you know. I oh mean, yeah, it's definitely how it works in a lot of places now too. Uh, and it's disgusting when it happens. Well, and I and I, I think I was thinking about was uh, I read the somebody on uh, I was I follow on Twitter commented about like so you know the it's so this is such a weirdly complicated story but PG and E out in <laughs> California cut their power right yeah um, and that person right. died almost immediately because right you can't just fucking turn off power uh, in our in our in this modern era right and then a bunch of people f- like did the classic thing of like well they should have had a contingency plan they should have been it's like well and then you know people with actual knowledge said well you're not allowed to maintain a bank account over two thousand dollars if you're on disability like right let's the system the u.s actually maintains today is this uh, system for, is that system its, yeah is, is that system uh the safety net uh the the federal level public safety net for disability <laughs> for people with disabilities that they cannot work uh, also maintains a rule that you cannot have two thousand dollars in uh, liquid assets, uh, so you actually cannot save up for anything. Yeah, you you, you have cannot. to be dependent on the state in order to be <laughs> right. dependent on the state. And and if you if you are found to have two thousand dollars and one cent, you are kicked out of the program. You lose income. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why you know people can't even people who could marginally work physically, <laughs> physically can't afford to yeah cannot cannot afford to actual work, actually work uh, because they wouldn't you know it wouldn't work out. We've created a system where uh, fraud definitely happens because as we've defined fraud, fraud is inevitable. Right. Uh, and, you know, and we've we've built the the equivalent of every door, every church's door is locked <laughs> as soon as you walk right. through the door. Right. It, it just is as soon as you walk in, right? Where the people supposedly offering help are, uh, yeah, are running an Which elaborate is, yeah. hostage scheme is what they're running. Like <laughs> right. it's right, yeah, right, right, and that's you know the the libertarian critique of. Social safety nets is that uh, people only vote for the Democrats because they offer them things, um, which one is is a dumb a dumb critique of anyone's voting. People vote for anyone, whoever they vote for, because 
they're offered things by that person. That's that's how democracies work, actually, because you're going to get something that you want if this person is elected. That's just how. Well, how I mean, I, you, you and I have slightly <laughs> different perspectives. You, you know, sometimes the thing that's offered is safety for the people you care about that aren't you. I mean, right, like, right, right, right. You have to be very careful because no, like, I vote. I, wanna, I do a lot I of my voting say, based there on are, like, There are good reasons. There are good things to want and there are bad things to want because sometimes you get a whole bunch of people who vote for a guy because he promises to make life worse for the brown people. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Well, they they promise you racial superiority is what they promised you, right? Like they promise you, you will not be on the bottom anymore. We found somebody and they're going to be on the bottom because this is what they look like and they're on the bottom now. But in in any case, the the system as exists for... uh, for this aspect of social welfare and for for food stamps as well is that if you uh, you know you you make too much money and you're kicked out of the program but the gulf between what the program considers too much money and right. what yeah. you could would actually need to make to live life is uh is huge right well and that's why those so, those redefinitions of the federal poverty line and stuff like that are so so critical right. and haven't happened in whatever fucking 50 years or something right. ridiculous like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. That that specific story that, uh, that you're referencing, you know, PG&E, uh, who is the, the uh, electricity and energy provider for, for much of Southern California, um, has, instead of updating their infrastructure, uh, recorded... Uh, Record dividends for investors. Right. Uh, you know, so your utility, you're running your essential utility as a for-profit uh, right, enterprise. Right. It's the smartest thing you could do. So in the last week, as uh, as wildfires are threatening populated areas, uh, large cities, in fact, um, PG&E uh, cannot continue to function if cities start to burn. Because their infrastructure is not updated. Uh, they could update their infrastructure to something that would survive it, but it's a bit late for that now. Uh, so instead, they are just shutting down power. But they're also being secretive about when they're going to shut off power and where they're going to shut off power. I, I have friends in California who I'm following their response to this who literally had no idea when their power would Yeah, I know. They're, they're getting missives. They're like, be prepared. It could happen at any moment, basically. It's like, right. that's not a thing. Like... Right. If you're like and like you know, it's if you're on if you need certain medical devices that require power, right. like be prepared. We can shut off your power at any moment. And you'll have no idea when it's going to come back on. It's not a life that, style that is maintainable. Right. Uh, right. It's insane. It's and like, you know, you can't afford to buy to save up for a backup, your own personal backup generator. Uh, you also probably don't have somewhere close where you could go where you know there's going to be power, right? Right. Especially, I mean, well, especially, especially when we're talking about a, power, yeah. an area so large being affected, you know, you've got to get out of state, right? Yeah, basically. You have to leave the state. And that and that and takes resources insane, right? and that takes an ability to travel that that many people don't have as well. So, And, you know, yeah. I mean, to, to sort of loop back to what we, we've been, you know, what we're talking about with the with the movie, yeah. you know, that's the locked door at the at the the church, the church yeah. but it's beyond that too right like that's the structure of the movie to a certain extent right like you need certain things to escape poverty 
but we've cre- we've purposely created a system that will not ever let you get that thing. Only right. some of you will get that thing. Right. You can't all we have it. it because everybody can't have a bicycle. We're going to keep half right. our bicycles in this fucking building for some reason. As collateral for debt. Unemployment can never be at 0%. We we can never reach 100% employment under capitalism because you you need competition in the labor market, right? As far as as far as the powers that be are concerned. Right. Uh, so, you know, obviously the the bicycle thing is a is a metaphor here but if we were to give everyone a bicycle if we were to give everyone the means to do their job if we were to give everyone the mean a living wage of a job then there would be no need for people to uh have to work for less than that right you know, it's like uh, it's like another story that came out a couple in the last couple of weeks of uh, GM going on strike, uh, and the union, uh, the company immediately canceled everyone's health, health insurance, insurance plans. Their their right. greatest weapon and, that the that this company right. wields, which is which is why uh, single payer, public funded healthcare does not exist in the U.S. Because it is a, it is the principal reason people have jobs in the U.S. Right, absolutely. If you could, you could even survive with, you could, with single payer healthcare, you could, you could in theory probably have enough savings to resist the powers that be for at least a little tiny period of time, right? Before you had to cave. But like medicines, just not a thing you can do that with. You can't. Right. Well, I can't. I can't ration away. You know, needing to go to the doctor—that's not a thing you can do. It, yeah, it's well, you can, but eventually you die. Well, right. I mean, we, uh, we see that with insulin all the yeah. time, right? Like, I mean, yes, right. you're right. Technically, you can ration, but that will eventually kill you. It will 100 percent right. result in your death. And in that regard, there, one of the reasons that this movie is so popular is that so many underclasses around the world see themselves in it. Uh, there is. Uh, one of the Criterion essays about this movie is by uh, Zhai Shengi, uh, who's the director of Zhao Wu, uh, Platform, Unknown Pleasures. Uh, and he talks about seeing this movie for the first time and uh, deeply relating to it, despite it being despite it being Italians, white people on the other side of the world. This Chinese kid sees himself and sees his family struggle. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, I don't know how old he is, uh, but I imagine that is his family struggle under an ostensibly communist right. uh, government as well, too, right? So that uh, yeah. Italy, when the, uh, when the fascists were first out, uh, swung left pretty hard um but uh but by the time we get into the late 40s and the 50s the uh the right-leaning christian party has come back into power which is why why so many of these films get critiqued by the church right because the church has political power in italy again um so yeah it's also like uh 
like those uh, the Andre Waja films where he wants to present he has a character present pure communism because what he's, he's what he's experiencing in Soviet Russia is not actual communism right. and he hopes that by having a character present pure communism uh, it will foment a uh, revolution it does not and the leaders know it will not so they don't even bother well and that and that's the interesting it. thing right <laughs> is that in in many ways with something like this movie we find that like the sort of the subtlety of not putting your politics on you know what I mean like not saying them outright almost seems to be yeah more powerful in a weird way like it it right this i mean this movie is deeply affecting like no, I can't. I know the person must exist, but can you? I I start when you watch this movie. It's it's interesting to play a sort of have a thought experiment of the people who go online, who are on that we we encounter on the internet and other places who argue that like social safety nets and stuff are are like are are a net negative for for society. Yeah, you kind of like had to play this sort of like almost this sort of mental game of like what would what would their response to this movie be and it's it's i mean i know it couldn't be my (laughs) my response but like right it's very hard honestly from an empathetic perspective to to imagine somebody not you know watching this movie and not being like oh man like this is all very fucked up right like but but apparently people do people must right look at me (laughs) The I mean, there's also <laughs> like the world's not different than it should than it is so clearly there's also you know the the individualization instead of viewing these as societal problems right you know and still frequently you know if this you know if this guy worked for a wendy's today his boss would buy him a bicycle and get news stories oh, God, written about how fucking, great he is god that garbage makes me so angry Right. Well, then sometimes the most recent one, it wasn't even the fucking boss who bought him the the. It was the fucking other employees, and it's like, okay, at some point this is just we've gone so far off the rails. We're not even in the same fucking universe anymore. Like that's right. not that's the worst version of this, because the boss didn't yeah. even spend any fucking money. Right. Your coworkers didn't want to see you die. And good on them which is, for being which empathetic is good. human yeah. beings. Yeah, good. Yes, right. wonderful. That's but that's deeply, deeply fucked up. Well, what, you know what like people call it? It shouldn't now, be their uh, job to do that. What do they call it? Um, it? I forget something. They call it something porn. I can't remember what people. I've seen it referred oh. to as like, uh, was it like uh. Uh, <laughs> hardship porn or something like that? Yeah, like, so, oh, everybody yeah, feels a little bit better a because somebody was saved it, from yeah. hardship. It's like, no, if that hardship just shouldn't fucking exist. It just shouldn't. Right. And doesn't need to. It especially... has no conceivable reason it should exist. I mean, right. But here we are. <laughs> Welcome to hell, Indeed. Adam. Welcome to hell. Right. Uh, yeah, no, this movie... Is, I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. That reminds me of something very quick. Uh, this is this is extremely Ohio-centric information. Perfect. Uh, I... But uh, but there's there's jokes about it that get a little further out. So between between Columbus and Cincinnati on the interstate, 
is a large billboard oh, yeah. uh, facing south we all, yes. that says hell is real yep. um, in white block lettering on a black, black background. background. Yep. I love uh, that sign so much. There, uh, I ran across a, uh, a sticker for a band out of Cincinnati. Uh, and I cannot offhand remember what the band is called, and I apologize for that. Uh, but they have a sticker that is a recreation of that that says here is real. Uh, much more than hell uh, in small print at the bottom. Uh, and it's my favorite thing I've seen. No, that's, for that's a very wonderful, long time. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely great. Um, but yeah, this uh, <laughs> we have created a hell for ourselves. Yeah. And we have we have created a system that says that hell is inescapable. Uh, and that it's your fault that you're in that hell. Yeah, well, and, and you know, and yeah, that, that hell is truly universal. It covers literally every human being in it. Uh, yeah. Like, we're all part of it. Some of us are just the hell gatekeepers instead of, you know. But even <laughs> then, like, I mean, like, when you when you start to, like, get into this, like, when you go down the rabbit hole far enough on this, like, even the people at the top of this system are still in this god-awful hell. They just... It's just how much you're right. convinced that your hell is hell, right? Like, you know, you're still in it, though. Like, if you, even if you're a billionaire in this system, yeah, I mean, right. congratulations, you won hell. Like, you're still in it. <laughs> you're still in hell. It is still, it is still the worst possible You bought possible yourself scenario. momentary comfort. Right. Like, it, it will not last. It will not keep. It's, yeah. It is still definitely hell. And and that's you know, but then we've we've definitely convinced ourselves that like this is the somehow we've convinced ourselves that this is the best possible system, right? Well, this hell we've created is is the ideal one, and somehow somehow we've convinced ourselves that the system that has only existed for about four hundred years, while human civilization has existed for eight thousand, right? And four hundred uh, is this, generous. This like four hundred is deeply yeah, generous. Right. That this system is human nature. And inescapable yeah. because it is human nature. It's, yeah, yeah I, I'm just so, I'm I'm spent on like human nature <laughs> arguments. Like right. we talked about this, right. I think like, two weeks ago or something, probably where right. we talked about like the idea something of during the rope scenario. I'm sure. Stuff. Yeah, I just yeah. can't. Just that that whole like, oh, this is inescapable. No, no, it's not. Like that's that's insane. That's an insane thing to believe. Like uh, you, we could literally all tomorrow just decide we're not going to do this garbage anymore. We just have to, yeah. Or we'll all die. It seems like that's really headed pretty much. So. <laughs> that that is actually the choice, as it turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. And we seem to have made oh. it. I mean, we seem to have decided. Honestly, if we're being really frank about this, we've pretty much made the call at this point. Um, it's very depressing. Yeah. Yep. Almost as depressing as this movie itself. Yeah, I mean, this this is what this is the problem, right? Is that like this movie is depressing <laughs> in part because it right. No functionally like no human being who is truly like has internalized their humanity can watch this and not spiral. You know what I mean? Like you can you can presumably watch it enough that you harden yourself to a certain extent where you can enjoy it like from an artistic perspective but because I mean it's quite good that way as well right but like this movie 
sends, as far as I can tell, all functional human beings on a spiral. Like, it just has right. to. You can't... Um, I mean, I get, yeah, as you pointed out, you, one thing you can do is compartmentalize it in such a way that it's like, well, this, man, Italy in 1948 sure sucked. Like, right. I guess you can For do For this that. guy. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> life really sucks. I mean, yeah, right. you can do that. But as I said, like, I'm, I'm arguing that anybody who has internalized their humanity enough they can't do that. And so, really, we could use this as a Voight contest is what I'm telling you. <laughs> our, I... own, our own new, new socialist utopia Voight contest. Like, how does this movie make you feel? And it's like, you know, it's, it's basically a pretty simple, pretty simple test. If you walk away saying, man, like, boy, that guy sure had some bad luck. Nope, sorry, you failed. <laughs> Um, can I, can I tell you another, another thing that fails? Sure. Uh, that, that particular test, uh, Aziz Ansari had a Netflix, uh, television show called Master of None. Yeah, um, I watched a couple episodes. There's, um, it has some really great things going on for it and I don't, I don't want to, uh, get bogged down in critiquing it, but there is an episode where he is in Italy, uh, where he loses his phone. And a little boy who looks a lot like our, our little boy in this movie, uh, they run around town all afternoon looking for his iPhone. Uh, <sighs> and <laughs> so that he can call a woman uh, and hopefully have sex with her uh, later, if I remember correctly. It's not even like my whole, my life, my phone my is my life. And like, that's a, yeah, I mean, you could make right, that movie. Like, you could legitimately right, remake right, this movie yeah. with that now, and it would work fine. Right, it would be totally right. functional as a remake of this movie. Like, I right. can't have and this they, job without this phone. I've got to go find and it. And the, the fact that, uh, the fact that pay phones uh, apparently no longer exist in the bulk of they the country. Not. That's true. Uh, and home phones are, uh, are something that is on their uh, that are on their way out uh, means that uh, providing uh, someone with a phone when internet access itself is a uh, prerequisite for most job applications yeah. uh, even even to that end uh, you need you need a cell phone right. you need yeah. a smartphone in fact yeah absolutely uh, but yeah uh, but Ansari's characters uh, losing his phone and not being able to have uh, to to maybe meet a woman uh, is uh, is very. That's very upsetting. You described something very upsetting to me right now. It's, pretty, it's it's like the other thing I described to you this week of the uh, the building in Columbus. Oh where God, that built I. It's eleven uh, eleven story low income apartment complex aimed at retirees uh, that was bought. Uh, everyone was evicted. Why they the fuck was it, it even for sale? I don't understand uh, the fucking system we live in. It probably was for sale because that neighborhood. This is the last, the last bastion of a gentrifying neighborhood. Uh, that that neighborhood has explicitly been uh, gentrified by the city uh, in order to convert it from a poor uh, black working class neighborhood. Uh, where uh, a very particular gang, uh, the Short North Posse, uh, thrived in the early 90s. The city uh, decided that the way they were going to get rid of the Short North Posse was to 
make sure they never got out of prison. And sure enough, every time anyone's up for parole, they get uh, they either don't get released or are almost immediately arrested on something. Uh, But also to make it prohibitively expensive for that gang to operate in the neighborhoods it operated. Do they imagine that like people can't be in gangs if they're not in (laughs) that spot? I, I I guess I don't because know. I mean I anyway. feel like that's the argument they're making. That's a very weird argument. Like, well, yeah, they can't be there anymore. Guess we win, team. It's like, yeah, I don't understand. Like, people can move places and still yeah. associate with the same people. So anyway, I guarantee the building was for sale because the owners could no longer afford the property tax. Oh, it wasn't publicly owned. I don't believe it was publicly oh, okay. owned. Like, I, I, it's I possible that it was publicly owned, but uh, Columbus utilizes a, a public-private uh, system yeah. for its, uh, for its uh, low-income housing. Uh, and it's not great. Yeah, uh, that, anyway. that sounds horrible. I, I mean, I yeah, I mean, that, it, that's all just, that's just... Yeah. Yeah, I can't. That's everyone. Awful. Everyone got kicked out. They converted it to a hotel, and now on the north face, eleven stories of the hotel, is a painting of an immigrant woman literally praying for a house. Uh, and I, I hope that the artist behind that uh, heard the backstory of this building and decided to stick his oh, middle finger up. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, there's no way that's <laughs> not what it is because you couldn't do an eleven story mur- mural. <laughs> Without, I mean, I can't conceive of somebody doing that and being like, I'm going to do this without any self-reflection. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but yeah, what what it boils down to is we kicked a bunch of people out of low-income housing, converted it to non-residential, and then uh, drew a picture of a woman praying for a house on basically the side. Basically mocking them. And, ba- uh, I mean, basically mocking them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Optics is very bad. Anyway, well, and that's you know, kind they, of what that Master that, they, of None episode felt like to me. I agree. Uh, that, that's totally true. I, I mean, I, I, I would argue that they probably painted that mural because they thought it would be good optics. They're like, oh, right, right, we exactly. support the, the we people, support the, the people, immigrant community. The, the people in charge of making that decision thought that it was good optics. Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't. Uh, just, she is even actually holding up a single-family Victorian home. In a part of the oh, city that really? is known as Victorian <laughs> Victorian Village, uh, I did, yeah. I couldn't see in the picture you sent me well enough to actually identify that there was an actual home in the hands. Yikes! Yeah. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. That yeah. Is, that the is picture I sent you was a little shit. blurry. Unfortunately, nice. I pulled it from a news site. Uh, but yeah, yeah, she is she is holding up a My single family two story Victorian home in her hands. Why is this? <laughs> yeah. It's it's terrible. That is the worst. Uh, it, it just got worse. When you told I like, I yeah. I believed you when you so told me like, oh, well, she's praying for a home. But I thought like it was kind of like you know metaphorically no. like we all know what no. this is about. But like no, literally, you know, maybe maybe she has some certain some images around her that like kind of help you know it's about a house. It was just put a fucking house in her hands and be like, yeah, yeah. oh my god. Uh, anyway, well, world's well, terrible. Yeah, one of the things uh, I wanted to talk about, you brought up the cell phone thing with the with that that Master of None yeah. episode, which just calls to mind a thing that, okay, I'm not in America very much, okay? It doesn't happen. I'm about yeah. in America maybe, what, 
two weeks a year if I'm lucky. Yes. I have yet, in the time since probably the year 2014, 2015, to be in America where I go for that two weeks. Again, that's that's a stretch. It's usually not two weeks. More than once or twice without being asked by somebody, can I please use your phone? And then being told a story about why, like... Oh, yeah. It's always the most... It's like... I mean, of course, you know, yes. The answer's always yes. I mean, I'm not going to say no. Absolutely. But, like, it's always just like... It's like, oh, like... This is the bicycle now. Like, it it absolutely is. This person needs this phone because, like... So related. um, When I was... I went to Candle Nights, the McElroy Brothers... Uh, holiday show a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. It's in Huntington, West Virginia. Right. And I was taking a bus back from Huntington, West Virginia overnight uh, to Columbus. It's only like a three-hour ride. Right. Uh, but I had to work in the morning. Uh, and the bus was, of course, late because it's Greyhound and all buses are always late. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I got to talking to a guy there um, who had just been released from the federal prison. Mm-hmm. Uh at 9 a.m. that morning, they had him gather his things and come out to be released. He was not actually released until 10 p.m. Jeez. Uh, they gave him all of his stuff in trash bag. Uh, he asked to borrow my phone uh, so that he could call his brother in Houston, where he was to end up uh-huh. on this bus ride. They gave him a bus ticket. And three days to get to a halfway house in Houston. The bus route they had him on uh, was from Huntington to Chicago. Uh-huh. And then Chicago South. And then back north to, I think, Denver. And then Denver to Houston. Jeez. Okay. Sounds like a so li- five-day bus ride, but yeah. Right. They gave him three days to do it in. Yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he used my phone to call uh, call his brother and, and let him know he was on his way, uh, starting his journey, finally, even though he'd been out of prison for 12 hours at that point. Jeez. Or, uh, I mean, officially released at 9 a.m., but not actually let out of the building until 10 p.m. Right. And the bus was supposed to be there at midnight, and it was two when we were here. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. It's it, it, the phone has become that has yeah has become right. in many ways the modern the bicycle from this movie. And right, and we are right. we are running the same scam on the people of the world right now with this that we that they were with the bicycle, right? Like, oh, there's just not enough bicycles to go around, right. Right, and then and then we have a, a generation who, ostensibly, does not realize the importance of the phone and complains constantly about any any public uh, public assistance to getting people a phone or to getting people too nice of a phone. I yeah, I don't. It's... Yeah, which is actually you know, it segues into another aspect of this film that I really like in the portrayal of that dinner scene, uh, where they use money that they really do not have. To have one nice meal, right, in a place, you know that that amount. Uh, it's important to hold on to hope by having right a and nice it, thing yeah. happen. 
and whether that be yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Saving up for a nice toy, or a nice phone, or a nice TV, uh, and putting to, putting together nickels every week in order to eventually afford that. Assuming you're not on disability, because then uh, then you're not allowed. Well, but that's the thing, right? Is it like money. even if you're not on? Like, that's the thing, though, right? Is like the structure we've right. created. Even if you're not on something like federal assistance of some sort, doesn't really allow you to do that. Not really. Right. Like the only way to accomplish that is to go into debt, because you're never right. ever going to actually have a chance to come out even far enough on top to like scrape the money together right like it's just it's just it's a system that's decided that a decided at some point that being poor was both a choice and a sin and that and that you if you are poor you ought to be as poor as possible like you there's no that like you can't I, I, i like it's hard to articulate but the idea that like no, if you're poor, why are you, you know, you get those those articles like, oh, well, we're just, everybody's just eating too much avocado toast or some bullshit like that. And it's like, <laughs> right. what are you fucking talking about? Like, oh, if you ate fewer lattes or you drank fewer lattes, then, like, everything would be fine for you. And he's like, so, like, I'm I'm supposed to live like some sort of weird monastic hermit in order to, like, not have my family die. That's cool, I guess. Like... <laughs> like, ah, you just had too much coffee. That's why your children are dead. Is a is a very right. weird line to take, but one that we see yeah. all the time. Um, and that's essentially that is true in this movie too, right? Like, it's like, it, you know, eat, there, it's not expressed to us outright, really, but like, you know, it they are very clearly in that same that same system, right? Like, oh well, you know, that's. Is this 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 poverty is nobody's fault but yours? Um, very, yeah. very real in this movie. Yeah. So, what do we do? Uh, uh, we I have mean, empathy. Yes, we, we have see empathy. the guy who's stolen our bike, and we say, "I'm sorry. I need this bike, but." I'm also not going to throw you in jail. Like, Go in all, peace. Like, yeah, and and that's one of the better parts of this movie is that they that right. he. I mean, we still end on a very low note, right? Because like our our main character is going to lose his job. Like that is going to yeah. happen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that is. They've that lost is their way out of poverty. The morning, and that's yeah, yeah. But he's also not going because, like, I given the nature of this movie, I was I've never seen it before. Uh, yeah. I'd heard a lot about it, but I'd never seen it. I was deathly afraid that he was going to end up in jail. I was, I, and I was like, well, I'm not prepared to deal with this. Like, I can't, this is an outcome in this movie I cannot fucking deal with. You know, I, I, because it, it's a potential, right? Like, a very real potential in this story that that's where this ends up, right? Um, and that's the interesting thing is, and we get into this sort of mental thing, right? Like, the bike was stolen from him. And I wonder in the end, like, he's pretty worked up about it because obviously, you know, that's that's his life there, right? Like, that's their hope for the future is that bicycle, right? Um, yeah. And it makes you wonder about our main character is a thing we'll never know the answer to. Had they found the bicycle and the bicycle thief, would he have pressed charges? 
Hard to know, right? Like we don't, we'll never know. It's interesting to think about. Like, right. would be would be would getting the bike beat back be enough to just be like, I've I've got yeah. what I need. It's fine. Like, or would it been more? It's just an interesting thing to think about. Right. Um, That's fair. We don't yeah. we don't know the how answer. How he would have reacted. Yeah. How he would have reacted if if his bike was recovered, and he had you know he frequently calls the police to try and get his bike back. Well, right, um, he's trying he to leverage the police as a power structure, right? right? Like, but he doesn't he press anything further, right? You right. Because he's he's given the opportunity in the in the, especially in the apartment of the person he right. knows the confrontation with, yeah. And of course, the police officer makes it very clear in, in I don't want to do my job, <laughs> right? <laughs> that like, oh, like if you're if you're wrong about this, you'll be the one in jail. Um, yeah. Which is a fucked up system in and of itself, but like, uh, right? Yeah, it, it. So it's hard to know if he if he turns away from that pushing that because it's, you know, because he doesn't really want to press charges, or if he just like knows that the power structure is going to result in him being punished instead. It's you know we don't know his internal processes there, but um, it is nice. It is good that it ends at least on a mildly human like humanitarian note right where he doesn't end up in jail because um, again i that would have broken me i couldn't have i couldn't i don't even know if we'd be watching we'd be doing this yeah. podcast right now honestly um yeah i will say this this movie somehow manages to generate some of the deepest suspense i've experienced in a movie in a very long time because the movie's called fucking bicycle thieves and we know he needs the bicycle, yeah. and then he we walk it. We watch him walk around the city for fucking twenty minutes, be like, "Oh God, when is it going to get stolen?" Like, right. it's a weirdly intense experience. Like, wait for it to be stolen because right. you know it's going to be stolen. Right. Like, it's the it's right. the plot point. It's the fucking gun. It's on the on the mantelpiece, right? Like, it's gonna go off. And you're like, well, right. it's got to go off someday. When the fuck is it going to happen? And then we're going to fuck with you all the time. He's even going to leave it behind one time, watched by a child. Right. right. Like, a child oh, he doesn't now. even know. No, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then it's like, and then they drop it on you kind of. I mean, you see it coming. Like, it's not a surprise because, like, you see a bunch of people scoping it out. But right. uh, nonetheless, it's it was, boy, they really, that's well done. That, that was very suspenseful. <laughs> like, for just a bicycle, like, it's not just a bicycle, obviously, in this movie, but, you know, it's very suspenseful. It is. It works very well. It, I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic movie, period. You yes. Know? And there's no denying that it is, it is, uh, it is considered one of the best films ever made. And from its, you know, from very early on in its life, it was considered one of the best films ever made. Uh, and continues to be. Yeah, and I'm reason. not here to argue about that. That's right. Yeah, obviously true. It just is. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not 1910, but declaring declaring a movie in 1948 the best movie ever made maybe isn't as big a claim as being the best movie ever made in 2019. But uh, it still continues to be one of the best. Yeah, I mean, I, I it has such weirdly like such intensely universal appeal. It may I I don't I can't right. Unless we magically fix all the problems featured in this movie at some point, <laughs> and then it becomes like it becomes like you know horror movies without cell phones. 
Yeah. At which point, I guess we can kind of admit that at that point. But like, I'm feeling like that's not going to happen. So why didn't he just use his government issue bicycle? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like I don't understand. Like, couldn't he have? Why just didn't used... he just use the universal basic income to buy a bicycle? Yeah. Exactly. It's like why? I don't understand why he didn't just go to the bicycle pool and pull one out and <laughs> and ride it. Uh. There are actually a lot of different solutions. There's a million of them. This I mean, and uh, some of them have existed in our world at times. Bicycle right. pools being one of them. Right. Go. Like, oh, exactly. We can just have enough bicycles for everybody to have a bicycle just on hand when they need it. That's a thing that can yeah. just has and well, will we do that. exist again. We do that increasingly in America now, but, but you have profit. to pay six dollars to uh, yeah. to join the program, and then a uh, dollar per mile on the bike. Yeah, that's so. all garbage. Right. I, uh, yeah, I think we can pull this to a close. This week we were talking about Bicycle Thieves, the 1948 film directed by Vittorio De Sica, uh, written by Cesar Zavattini, uh, both big names in the Italian uh, neorealism movement. Uh, We will see more from both of them, I'm absolutely certain of. Uh, but Criterion's website's broken right now, so I cannot click on DeSica's name and see <laughs> other DeSica movies, which happens. Next week, we will be going to uh, to Britain for Green for Danger, directed by Sidney Goulet uh, in 1946. Look forward to that. It's a great little uh, murder mystery story. Uh, definitely, definitely different to this, but uh, that's the other thing the Criterion does very well is... Show us a lot of different things. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dory. And we'll see you next time. Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorian and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.